Welcome to PR360, where every week the brightest minds in public relations, communications, and media discuss the topics and trends you need to know about. PR360 was produced in partnership with Global Results Communications. Now here's your host, Todd Perry. Welcome back to PR360. My guest today is Joe Zappa. He's a content marketer, journalist, and academic who has spearheaded content programs for dozens of businesses. He founded Sharp Pen Media, a marketing agency that approaches content and PR through a three-step process of narrative building, editorial planning, and content creation. Joe is the editor of the MarTech trade publication Street Fight from 2018 to 2023. He earned his BA from Brown and his PhD in comparative literature from Cornell. Uh, now, Joe, is there anything I missed? No, that's my entire resume. Thank you very much. That's it. That's everything you've done. Nothing Nothing more to report. <laughs> uh, I, I will say here, what's one of the... Uh, what's one of your favorite things you've ever covered as a journalist? Hmm. Okay, so weirdly enough, I got into ad tech and martech uh, seven or eight years ago, and in the beginning I had no idea what it was. I mean, I didn't even understand what marketing was at the time. Um, <laughs> I was just, you know, a college student reading my reading my literary texts. And over time, I've come to really enjoy the intricacies of ad tech in particular uh understanding like the different types of programmatic advertising transactions and like the politics of you know how publishers and advertisers come together um i think it's fun because ad tech can be extremely heady and Mm -hmm. i think like having been an academic i'm very into like abstract uh concepts um, and I feel like when I'm talking about programmatic media with my clients and collaborators, sometimes it, it feels a little bit like those academic discussions of like, you know, how is this ad served is like very, um, mm. uh, not very tangible. And I'm into that. I, you know, there's also, I think, in, in, a thing in advertising where it's always like, what part of the advertising is working. I think maybe in ad tech, it's a little bit easier because you're getting pretty good analytics on everything, I assume, versus if you're, you know, running a radio ad somewhere and trying to figure out what got people to call or what messaging people relate to. Um, I guess at Sharp Pen Media, you have a, quote, bespoke three-stage approach to content and marketing and PR. And could you unpack that? Because that feels like kind of it's uh, center to what you guys do. Yeah, for sure. So the main problem I've encountered in uh, my time running the agency is that most companies, when they do PR and content, they're producing commodity content. They aren't producing content that is truly differentiated and that accentuates their unique strengths. Um, And so the three-stage process is really how we try to get past that. Um, So the three stages are narrative differentiation, editorial planning, and then lastly, content creation. My thesis is that most people start with the third one, right? So it's like you hire a content agency or PR agency or freelancer, and they run off and they start emailing reporters or writing thought leadership bylines or whatever it is. 
my contention is that if you leave out the strategy bit in the beginning, which covers what are we going to say? How is it different from what all of our competitors are saying? Do our customers care? And does it amplify our unique strengths? If you leave out that bit um, of narrative differentiation, and then also the go-to-market part, the editorial planning of like what types of assets are we going to create and where are we going to put them, uh, you're not going to see the best results with content because it's either not going to resonate with your customers or it's just not going to reach them. And that's, yeah. I think, why a lot of companies go off and they create content. And then six months later, they're like, what did it do for us? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it's almost like before people come to you, they have like a, a ready fire aim approach to things. Uh, and why why is it that without you know coming to a you know a company like yourself, uh, why is it that people were just making kind of commodity content? They they weren't realizing the power of differentiating themselves, or maybe their product wasn't unique enough, or then dug into it. Well, what's the problem there? Yeah, I think everyone in theory understands that you want to be differentiated, right? But then there are real forces on the ground that shape how people actually do marketing. So for example, a prospect came to us a few weeks ago, and we're still in talks with them. And we were talking to the head of sales, great, great guy. And he was saying how uh, one of the reasons he was talking to us as a marketing agency, uh, and we were talking about possibly doing marketing strategy, is that his VCs were saying, you know, you guys got to get out there. And this is like a very common uh, sentiment, right? It's like uh, for early stage companies, they're like, there'll be this pressure of like, okay, we have product market fit. Maybe you're doing like one to 2 million in revenue. Um, you know, your product like works and can generate results for your customers and that people are interested in it. And then someone starts saying, whether it's the CEO or someone on the board or an investor, it feels like we should be able to turn the dials up on this. Um, yeah. But then there's a bias toward action and what I would say is counterintuitively a bad way because it's like the action ends up being, okay, well, let's just go start creating content. Like let's hire whomever we like can find and then start putting stuff up on the blog or out on LinkedIn. And that's not the best way to get results. Like mm. what I tell people is, so I've seen many early stage companies go off and they'll spend, you know, 10K a month or 15K a month on a PR agency or something. Um, and what? And then a year later, they, they didn't have a strategy. So they're like, what did this get us? And they can't point to any numbers. And then they fire the agency. My contention yeah. is instead of spending that 120 to 180K in the first year on an agency, like please spend like 30K or something to that effect upfront on a strategy and make sure that the person who's putting together that strategy has real credentials and has actually grown companies like yours several times before. Because if you don't put together the strategy and you don't have someone who's actually qualified putting together that strategy with you, you're going to spend a lot of money on marketing tactics that are not going to produce the results you want. And then that rush to market, that rush to scale, uh, ends up doing nothing, right? And then and you just wasted a whole bunch of time when you could have been done doing something a little bit more thoughtful yeah exactly uh, and so specifically when you talk about content creation what 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 types of content you know obviously blogs articles um what what's the kind of roster of, of content you guys are working with at sharp pen 
We are usually doing long-form written content creation, so white papers, thought leadership bylines, blog posts, we do some LinkedIn. Uh, but we we can do other things because it really just comes down to, and I think this is one of the benefits of picking agencies over freelancers, uh, it comes down to understanding what the given customer needs and then putting together an account team that reflects those needs and can deliver uh, on them. So I think that that's another thing I'll often tell people uh, when they're asking about, like, should I get an agency or a freelancer? Like a freelancer is better if you have a very specific tactical need and you need it filled. Whereas an agency that does like, you know, strategy content PR like us, we can do a bunch of different things and bring people in. So it really, it's like we can adjust to outcomes instead of deliverables. Got it. Got it. See, that's, this is going to be coming online, uh, an ongoing debate on uh, this show here, the freelance versus agency thing. Um, so, uh, obviously, Sharp Pen puts a big emphasis on the quality of writing uh, that you deliver for your clients. Uh, what makes good marketing writing stand out? Well, I think the first and most important thing is that narrative differentiation bit, right? So, if you're um, like when I was an editor of a MarTech trade publication, uh, you know, a huge development that's been going on for years in ad tech and MarTech and digital media is privacy. So uh, Google, which is obviously a digital media behemoth, um, has been threatening for years to sunset the third party cookie, which, you know, allows companies to track you across sites and deliver more relevant advertising. And when I was uh, the editor, I would edit thought leadership byline submissions, you know, usually compiled by content agencies or PR agencies. And I must have edited, you know, more than 100, like, how to prepare for the death of third party cookies bylines. And almost all <laughs> yeah. of them say like the same thing, right? So there's just the way that happens, like the way that everyone ends up writing basically the same article on the same topic is... A PR team, external or internal, is getting together. And they're like, what's a big topic in our industry? And they're like, privacy. What's a news peg? Google sunsetting the third-party cookie. All right, let's write about that. Right. And again, like perfectly understandable because often like companies sort of want this, right? Because they're saying that VC thing I referenced of like, we got to do this right now. So then the PR agency is like okay, we got to give it to them right now. And this is how commodity content happens because no one's taking a couple months or recruiting the required talent to figure out, okay, everyone's talking about the third-party cookies. So first of all, if everyone's talking about it, should we even be talking about it? Maybe, maybe mm. not. It really comes yeah. down to, do we have a unique take on that? And does it ladder up to our product in a way that's going to resonate with our customers? And then, yeah, even if we are going to talk about it, okay, we got to say something other than like, go collect more first party data, because that's what everyone is saying, you know? Okay. So I think that's, that's what it really comes down to is high quality writing is differentiated. It's aligned with a broader marketing strategy. And then the third bit of the three stage process we discussed content creation, I think what it really comes down to is after you've done that strategic differentiation work, you need to have really high quality writers uh, and editors. And like if I were, you know, choosing an agency, uh, I would want them, I would be evaluating them on like strategic chops on do they understand my industry? And then thirdly, what are the credentials of the writers? 
because I I also will say as an editor, I got a peek into some of the content that people are creating in in my industry at least, mm-hmm. and some of it did not look like it had put, been put together by someone who I would call a professional writer. And so the way you avoid that as a company hiring PR agencies or content agencies is you evaluate who's actually on this account team. Like the agency's going to talk a big game no matter what. So make sure the person, you know, either like has a journalist background or they've been a content marketer for 10 years and have advanced in organizations, like something like that should indicate to you that this person's actually going to do really good writing for me. And do you take into effect uh, the person who's writing its backstory or their personal credibility to obviously bring way more uh, kind of kind of gravitas to the story or to the piece uh, in order to you know to to beef up its credibility? Yeah, I mean, often when these pieces actually go out, of course, as you know, they'll be in the the name of the the person for whom they're ghostwritten. So. There's that element of it. But I think that it's more about, it's not about the like reputation of the writer, but it's about their credentials. Like, um, do they, do they have a track record of writing in this industry and writing effectively? And do I see something about them that indicates to me like, okay, this person has, you know, real writerly chops and it's not just like a PR generalist like, you don't want mm-hmm. someone who's, like, you know, a 24-year-old who, like, is just a generalist PR person, like, doing yeah. thought like doing thought leadership writing for your CEO, right? No. So it's, that, that's what I think you need to take into account. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Um, when it comes to content marketing, uh, are you affected by the different algorithms that tend to you know, squash stories or are, do you have like pretty like pure channels to get stuff out to people? Because like uh, me write, writing articles these days, it's a news article, you put it out on Facebook and nobody sees it anymore. All that is kind of dead. Um, uh, are, 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 how are you getting stuff out there? Um, yeah, I don't the think question. there are, I don't think there are pure channels I think you're always contending with those challenges. So it just becomes an, a question of understanding what channels are our customers on and how are we going to navigate each of those channels as an individual one. Uh, so what I mean by that is the thing everyone in PR makes fun of, right, is the company's distribution strategy that is just we write a long form article for our blog and then we post a link to it on LinkedIn. Like yeah. that is the worst thing you can do. And the reason is because... LinkedIn has a vested interest in not having people go off the platform. So they want to promote native content that is meant to keep people on the platform. So really, when it comes down to distributing content, it's a matter of first having a strategy. So understanding where are our customers and how are we going to uh, measure whether we're resonating with them. And then... Uh, understanding the idiosyncrasies of each channel. So like there's a particular way to write for LinkedIn, right? That's like very punchy. Um, Mm -hmm. And like people sometimes call it broetry, but like it exists for a reason. (laughs) Okay, Um, I've never heard that. That's that's brilliant. Yeah, 
Yeah, exactly. But it's like, well, there's a reason these bros are like breaking up their text into like short sentences and whatever, right? It's not that you have yeah. to do that for every post, but it's like, it's on social. People are scrolling on mobile and like, that's the stuff they read. They're not going to read like giant chunks of text. Um, so I think it's more about that, like understanding if you're doing a, like a blog and you're expecting people to find it via Google search results, make sure you have an ex- an SEO person in there who's going to like advise you on how to make that pop. And same thing for LinkedIn or trade publications or whatever you're targeting. Well, I have noticed the bro in kind of doing this show and researching people and wanting to find out more about them. And so obviously lots of people have like robust LinkedIn uh, thought leadership pieces. And then I have noticed the, the, the way that there is something similar to it. Uh, I didn't realize that was the best practices. Uh, so, oh, sorry, I, I kind of lost my spot here. Um, let's, let's see here. Uh, uh, how do you think most like B2B and tech companies are doing content marketing wrong? Besides, you, you already brought up the uh, commodity content. Are there some other things in there that you notice that just stand out? Um, yeah, I think the main things are the commodity content piece and then... Uh, talking too much about themselves and thinking that people care about the intricacies of their product. (laughs) That's another big thing. So like when it comes down to how we do differentiation, uh, the way that one of our collaborators, uh, Paul Connecton, who will put to, he's been a CMO several times and he'll put together strategies for our clients. uh, The way he puts it is that you need to have a crusade, right? Which by which he means it's not enough to just be like, we are a media buying platform and we compete with other media buying platforms and we are 12% more efficient. Like no one, <laughs> no one's going to remember that and it's not going to be clear to them. They might be like, okay, maybe you are, maybe you're not, but I don't know why I should spend like, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars in time and money, like transitioning from my current platform to yours. Yeah. So, so the way Paul puts it is that if you have a crusade, that is bigger than your product, uh, that is that really resonates with people emotionally and intellectually that they can sort of get on board with. Um, that is how you do B2B marketing differentiation really well. I'll give you an example. So uh, Paul was CMO of a an ad tech company called Beeswax, and they were... Um, they were a DSP, so a media buying platform. Um, and what Paul realized at Beeswax was that all of the customers with whom they really resonated were had like heavy data chops, and they were essentially what Beeswax ended up calling control freaks. Yeah, and so they ended up uh, basing all of their marketing on this idea of like. There are a hundred media buying platforms out there. We are the media buying platform for control freaks. So if you're oh. like an Uber and you have like really serious data people on your marketing or media buying team and you want to like get into it, like you don't, you don't want a platform that's just going to like make it easy, which is how tons of other media buying platforms position themselves. You want someone who's going to give you a ton of customizability, a ton of data and let you get in there and figure out the best possible way to do this. Like beeswax is for you. Uh, and they they ended up 
through the through that marketing program, through that messaging and positioning, they ended up figuring out who their ideal customers were and signaling to them and shortening the sales cycle. And they they sold for nine figures to Comcast. Wow. So I think I think that is often what it is. It's like, what is your if you're talking to a B2B company, it's like they need to figure out what is your version of that? Like, what is your mm-hmm. crusade, crusade? Who are your control freaks? Um, and then you figure out PR and content on the basis of that strategic insight. Wow, I love that. That is, uh, it reminds me kind of a, I was speaking with a gal, gal named uh, Sana Ahmed on this show a while back, and she was talking about personal branding. And she goes, one of the things is that people are afraid of in personal branding is really having kind of almost like an enemy out there that you're fighting against that ends up kind of defining you. Like you see that in politics, things like that. But she was just talking like in terms of personal brand for anything. And that kind of mirrors what was done here is um, they went out and found really the perfect way to position themselves uh, by having the crusade, you know, picking up their sword, if you will. Um, Yeah, I completely agree. I think you need to stand for something and it needs to be clear uh, whom are you for and whom are you not for, right? So if you say, like, we're for control freaks, tons of potential buyers are going to see that and be like, I'm not a control freak. Like, I don't, I clearly yeah. don't want this. But you have to be okay with that because that's the whole game of marketing, obviously, right? It's like, right. it's not like we're not selling toothpaste here in B2B marketing. <laughs> it's like, yeah. you know, we've got to, we're not trying to sell to the whole world. So you have to figure out very specifically who is that ideal customer and then obsess over them and be comfortable turning away almost everyone else. Ah, I love it. I love it. See, th- Joe, I, I appreciate you coming on the show today because I think when this when this show works is when my guests have wonderful specifics. And that's, so then the show becomes valuable, right? And uh, you've got a lot of great ones today, and I appreciate that. Uh, for last thing to go over today is, um, quote, uh, why are marketers wrong to be obsessing over generative AI? Um, yes. Yes. Uh, I Sorry, will tell I, you. that was a really awkward job. <laughs> that I, is I just th- left you on the, the diving board here. Okay. That is perfectly fine. I'm happy to dive. So <laughs> why are they wrong to be obsessing about generative AI? It's not that generative AI is useless or evil. Um, generative AI is a tactical tool uh, and it might increase efficiency and um, there's nothing or provide inspiration. There's nothing wrong with that. What bothers me in the obsessive discourse about generative AI are the implications that this is like a fundamental revolution in how we're doing marketing or that it should like suddenly go to the number one position in every like marketing organization's priority list. As if like we need to figure out right now how we're using generative AI because if we're not, we're falling behind. And you'll see if you're like me, you've probably seen these ads on like Twitter or LinkedIn, right? That are like, if you're not using AI, you're falling behind. Join my newsletter to find out how, Um, (laughs) you know, that kind of thing. And my, my take on this is that like, Again, generative AI useful like to provide education on a new issue, just like a more efficient long form version of Google search results to provide inspiration. Like if you want to test out what are 10 headlines I could use for this article, it's useful for efficiency. If you want to just like get crank out a first draft and then improve it, all of that is fine. 
But those are all tactical and sort of efficiency and process things. Like the most important thing in marketing, like the 80-20 of marketing is strategy. Like that Mm. is the thing that uh, having worked with dozens of marketing teams, like that is the thing that is missing is that bit of how are we differentiating ourselves? How are we going to market? Are we resonating with our customers? All of those things, right? And so my, my point with generative AI is like, I wish I saw, I wish that for every generative AI, how to use generative AI in your marketing program, uh, LinkedIn post or blog post I saw, I saw five that were about the fundamental marketing questions that may not seem sexy, but that are timeless and critical, like right. messaging and positioning and figuring out your ideal customer and all of that. Because that, I think, is really where most marketers have an opportunity to make a big impact on their organization and not in implementing a tool that's going to make them, you know, 30% more efficient. Ah, I love it. But but the potential client might fall for the, is this company using generative AI, right? And then that's your response to them. And hopefully that is comforting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think it's like going back to, uh, you know, catering to a very specific customer and turning away other people. Like, uh, if you asked me, if you were a prospect and you asked me about generative AI, I would tell you the exact thing I just told you on the podcast. And if that, if you're like, oh, well, forget this, like I want an agency that's all in on generative AI, then I'm very happy losing you as a customer. So right. that's, you know. Like, we're not for you, you know. Exactly. Um, so, well, thank you so much, Joe, for coming on the show. Uh, what's the best way for people to follow you or to get in touch or to read your broetry? <laughs> Two places you can find me, uh, podcast.sharppenmedia.com or read my broetry by going and finding me on LinkedIn, where I do, in fact, post five times a week. Uh, just search Joe Zappa LinkedIn, and I'm sure you will find me. All right. Thank you so much, and um, good luck. Yeah, thank you. This is great. I appreciate you having me on. PR360 was produced by Todd Perry in partnership with Global Results Communications. Be sure to subscribe to the show and leave a review wherever you get podcasts. Follow GRC on all socials at Global Results. Follow Todd on Twitter at Todd A. Perry. That's Todd with one D. Talk to you next week.